welcome, Mrs. Hutchinson. Thank you for joining me on the Inquisitive Introvert Podcast. Before we get into your backstory, I just kind of want to let the audience know how we met. I actually found you on Thumbstack, I believe the website was, and you helped me get my resume in order. Yes. That is something that I very, very much appreciated. But outside of you being sort of an independent consultant, Mrs. Hutchinson, you are very passionate about educating and helping young people sort of overcome obstacles. So I just kind of want to know a little bit more about your background and how did you get to where you are now, professionally and personally? I come from a background where a lot of people that have been in my situation come from. I grew up in the inner city. I grew up very, very poor. I come from a family of 12 children, so you can imagine trying to distinguish oneself in a family of 12 is a little bit of an art form. I didn't have all of the artistic side of things that some of my siblings had. I didn't sing. I didn't dance. I didn't do sports. I wasn't a good gamer. I wasn't an artist like some of my other sisters. But the thing that became my thing was school. And really enjoyed school. I excelled at it probably because I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed learning new things and new subjects, and it really didn't matter what the subject was. And I came to understand that education was my way out of North Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. Wow. So I put a lot of time into that, and eventually I was able to go to college. I worked two jobs all through undergrad school, and so that was challenging, but it was something that I knew that I had to put the time and effort into. Some things, there's just no getting around putting in the work. Right. I knew that I had to put in the work, and ultimately, I went to law school. I'm a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill School of Law, uh, where I got my Juris Doctor, and I was going to go off and do fabulous work in civil rights, and that path didn't work out. I ended up going into corporate. In corporate, I focused on compliance, ethics and compliance, and I came to learn to enjoy that. And so that's where my career has focused primarily, but I've always dabbled on the side of my corporate career in trying to reach back into my community, making sure that I reached out to young people who needed some practical advice. It's real easy to have all of these wonderful poster sayings, just do it, or do the right <laughs> thing, or go yes. for it, or the sky's the limit. But I remember... Myself, growing up, those are wonderful motivational and aspirational sayings, but they're not very practical. I remember growing up thinking, now what? What are some practical things that I need to do? What do I do tomorrow? So sure, I got the rah-rah cheerleader poster that said, reach for the moon, and if you don't hit it, you're pretty high up, but that doesn't really mean <laughs> to me where I grew up. And so... I always looked for some more practical, specific advice that just wasn't there. So that became my goal in terms of reaching back and giving it to someone else. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I thought was really interesting is that you excelled at school and a lot of your siblings had other gifts. So I guess when you graduated from JD, how did you sort of relate to your siblings? What's your relationship with them since I guess you were so different in that aspect? 
I wouldn't necessarily say that I was different because my mm-hmm. siblings all have degrees as well. So I think that mm-hmm. for the most part, the majority of us understood that education was the key mm-hmm. to moving beyond North Philadelphia. But I think I also didn't have some of the artistic side of things that they had. Actually, it turns out that it was really a good thing because I was able to rely on some of their talents to help me with my own growth. Wow. Another thing that you mentioned that I'm really interested in learning about is what exactly did working with big corporate organizations teach you about ethics? I know that ethics and corporate really don't always go together. So I guess what sort of lessons did you learn working as a corporate lawyer in that particular department? And how did you feel? Like, was there any conflict that sort of came up in regards to compliance and ethics as it relates to corporate businesses? I have been in maybe six or seven different large organizations. Ethics and compliance in each of them are handled differently depending on where the organization itself is. Some companies, and I believe that companies go through the same trajectory. They start out with getting involved in corporate compliance because of some mandate. There's some regulation, whether you are in the energy industry or whether you are in healthcare or wherever you are, there's some mandate that starts that ball rolling. The next step is someone within the organization, someone within the leadership role has a moment where they realize that actually the compliance program is a value add. We're not simply doing this because it was mandated. That might be how we started. But now we're coming to understand that there's a value add here, similar to maybe the human resources department. There is a benefit to this compliance program. And sometimes the benefit is in attracting good talent because people want to work for ethical organizations. And sometimes it's about retaining high-value employees because they see that the organization wants to do the right thing, whether it's internally with their own code of conduct or whether it's externally via a social responsibility program. People want to work for companies that they can believe in. I don't think that we are at the days any longer where high-value employees are just looking for a paycheck. They can get a paycheck anywhere. So they're looking at all of these other factors when they're choosing organizations. And so companies started beginning to understand that there's a value add to a compliance program. And then they get into the next phase, which is the compliance program is critical to the success of the organization, that you can start to look at the compliance program the same way you would at the finance department, especially when you're talking about some of the heavy fines federal regulators would impose. You're in the healthcare industry, so you know this, especially Mm -hmm. in healthcare, whether it's the Department of Justice or whether it's Health and Human Services, some of the fines can be multi-million dollar fines. And so there is a real bottom line financial impact to having a successful and effective compliance program. 
And then ultimately, and I think this is the place where companies should want to go, but ultimately, if a company is doing the compliance and ethics function well, they get to the part where it's integrated. It's not just a separate department that if something goes wrong, that department has to deal with it. It's integrated and woven throughout the organization, and individual leaders are actually implementing the compliance program themselves. Now, you'll still have a compliance department in this case where you can reach out to subject matter experts to help understand what the regulations are or to help with an internal investigation or to run metrics. You have a centralized unit, but the program itself is implemented by the entire leadership team. And so I think that's the trajectory of corporate compliance programs, and different organizations are at different points on that trajectory. So my guidance and my thoughts about an organization and how I help them move through that trajectory just depends on where they are. So it's hard for me to give you a blanket statement as to what I think about a compliance program. It depends on where the organization is. Ultimately, my goal has always been to help them move through this trajectory. You don't want them to stay at that bottom line, which is we're only doing this because we have no choice. One thing that I noticed, Alice, that that you mentioned earlier, that you originally grew up in North Philadelphia. So how did you get to Chicago? Oh, my goodness. I have lived in so many states. I did a lot of traveling. For the most part, I've traveled for work. I moved to different states. I didn't feel tied down to stay in the Northeast. I've lived in Texas and California and North Carolina and Delaware and Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and ultimately I'm here in the Illinois area. So for the most part, I've traveled because of work. Kind of along those lines, since you've lived in so many different states and you're very passionate about educating people, especially young people, do you see a difference in young people from Chicago to Texas in terms of some of the obstacles that they have to overcome? Or is every young person or young professional pretty much the same and trying to figure out their path to success? I don't think that they're the same. I don't think that young people are cookie cutters at all mm-hmm. or have cut using cookie cutters. It really just depends on their village, and everybody has their village. But I do think the inner city for me has been the draw because I think that having access to the people who can mentor you and motivate you when you come out of the inner city is not as readily available as those mentors are in the suburbs or in other communities. So while the individuals are certainly unique in their psychology and unique in what they are striving for, I think that we can look at certain geographical areas within different states. And the inner cities, I think, are where you have people who are at risk simply because they don't have that practical step-by-step guidance that you would like for everybody to have. And I just used too broad of a brush with that, so I apologize. I mean, don't want to paint the inner cities as one the big problem area. It certainly isn't. That has certainly just been my focus in trying to mentor. Sure. And who are some of your mentors growing up, and how did they affect you personally and professionally? First and foremost, some of my mentors would have been my older siblings, simply because they were right there and they were available. 
Some of them had gone to school, to university prior to me, so I could tap into them and I could find out how would I do A or B or C or D, and they were readily available to give me information and share their knowledge. Their knowledge didn't always help me because I was striving for different things, but certainly having them available. I would also say that just people in our neighborhood or the teachers that were open to me getting farther along in my life, mentors can be found everywhere. I remember having a part-time job through high school working in the local diner, and the owner of the diner was a mentor. And by mentor, it doesn't have to be someone who could give you that detailed information and detailed direction. They don't have to come out of corporate America. They really can just be people who see the value in you and can help to motivate you. I would recommend to people that if you're looking for a mentor, though, you actually need a mentor who's going to tell you the truth. It's very easy to find people who are going to pat you on the back and find your cheerleader. And trust me, cheerleaders are important. You have to have cheerleaders so you continue to develop that self-esteem and get you to jump out of bed in the morning. But you also need mentors who are going to be honest with you and give you critical feedback. One mentor that I had in corporate America was someone who didn't start off as a mentor. I was very young in my career. This was prior to law school. I'd been working in marketing and advertising, and I remember I had a vice president who allowed me to write a marketing plan. And I spent a lot of time on that marketing plan. It was my first one. I put it together. I gave it to him. And the next day, he gave it back to me, and it said, great. And that was it. And it's great. And I felt really good about that. I was like, yes, I hit the mark on it. And over the next two years, I sent my manager, he was a VP at the time, I sent this VP a variety of marketing plans and projects and reports. And he just thought I was completely on task and on target and I would get thumbs up. And at one point, I had asked him if I could send it upstairs to the director of marketing. And he said, yeah, go ahead, let's send it up. So I was feeling really good about myself. And then he left the organization, and his replacement was a woman named Carolyn. And Carolyn came in, and I was in the middle of writing a marketing plan when she came in, and I remember giving it to her, and it came back to me with so much red ink on it. She had marked it up. She had things written in the the side margin saying, well, where's the budget for this? You already talked about this on page three. Why are we talking about it again here? Why don't you merge those? It was just so many comments and so much red. I was angry. Hmm. I was absolutely angry and thought she was being mean and had a little bit of an arrogance about myself because I had been writing these marketing plans for two years. And my thought was, Who is she to come in here and tell me, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for two years. (laughs) And I remember tossing it aside on my desk, and I called my brother that evening just because I wanted to have a venting session and I needed somebody on my side. My brother listened to me, and then he said, is she right? And what do you mean, is she right? (laughs) 
<laughs> what do you mean? I've been doing this for two years. What do you mean? And he said, well, sounds like your ego is bruised, but this is about your career. So stop being mad at her. Go back, read her comments, and decide if she's right. Interesting, I had two people right then, right there, giving me critical, honest feedback. Because when I went back and read her comments, she's right. I didn't have a budget in that marketing plan. I had talked about the market impact on page three and then again on page six. Why wouldn't I talk about them together? I was missing some things. The grammar was off once I saw it corrected and read. There were spelling errors. There was sentence structure and tense structure issues. And at that point, I thought, wow, this is an indication to me that my previous manager actually didn't have my best interest at heart. He allowed me to send the crappy marketing plans that I had been writing for two years up to the upper leadership. What must they think of me? I had not grown in two years. And this is a critical point. Your manager should be there to help your growth. And I had not grown. And at that point, when I went back to Carolyn, I apologized to her and I said, I went back and read your comments and I read what I had written and you are absolutely correct. I have a lot of work to do. And she said, I can help you if you want. And I thought, absolutely I want. <laughs> and so one of the things that I try and coach young people about is seek out people who are going to give you honest feedback. If all you want is to get fours on a scale of one to four on every single annual review, and there are many people who, who want that because it's tied to their bonus or tied to their raise, right? So they want mm -hmm. fours across the board. If you're getting fours across the board from your leader year after year, you either need to be in a more challenging position or your leader is doing you a disservice. Fours across the board suggest that you have no more growth, not in that position. And if that's the case, maybe you've outgrown that position and you need to be looking throughout either that, unit, that organization or another organization for more challenging work. When you asked about my mentors, I have had several and in a variety of positions from my community to corporate to colleagues who, in each case, you want someone who is going to have your best interests at heart, whether they are going to be your cheerleader or whether they are going to give you some critical, honest feedback or whether they are going to help you with your skill development. I don't know that one person fits all of those criteria, so you might want to have several mentors. I definitely agree with that. And one sort of common thing that I'm hearing from your story is that you were just so determined and focused and developed great work habits. I think nowadays, since millennials, we kind of get this bad rap of being lazy and things like that. But I don't think that's necessarily true. But for, I guess, millennials, where that sort of characteristic does apply, what is your best advice to people that feel like they're entitled to certain things? And how do they sort of get out of that ego to be better personally and professionally? I love millennials. I think millennials are amazing <laughs> because 
I don't think that they see restrictions, and that's a good thing. I think go for it. Go for that home run. Go for the long-distance run. But just know that you have to put in the work. That hasn't changed, and it never will change. You have to put in the work. The other two things I think I would say to millennials is, number one, be aware of your social media presence. That was not something that I had to worry too much about as I was at the beginning of my career because the Internet wasn't everywhere and we didn't have Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and et cetera. But you're always interviewing, always. You're always interviewing for your next job. And it doesn't really matter whether you are at the local Whole Foods market getting some apples. You're always interviewing. And so your presence and how you represent yourself is always critically important. That is also true on social media. I have interviewed a lot of people for positions, and I've been surprised sometimes when I see the person in front of me who is so polished and so knowledgeable and very skilled and appropriate sitting in front of me, but I want to know if they are appropriate for the long term and for representing the organization, especially in my field, which is ethics and compliance. And a view of their social media has been surprising to me at times. And these are the millennials and the amount of information that they are willing to put out to the world and some of the unfortunate statements that you see on some of the social media, how would you have a statement on here that becomes so politically charged that it causes people to take a step back? Or statements on there, yeah, I'm actually at the concert. I called in sick. My boss will never know. So there's a lack of self-awareness to some degree, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know that everyone who does that At the moment, they're in this moment and they're having fun in the moment and they're not thinking about it necessarily in the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is when you are at the beginning of your career, you are always interviewing. And sometimes you're interviewing with your colleagues. They don't know you're interviewing and you don't know you're interviewing, but you're interviewing. At some point, your colleague is going to climb the corporate ladder. And your colleagues may be in a position where they are now looking for talent. Are you the person that they are looking at? Are you the person that pops into their mind when they're thinking, I need someone who could do A, B, and C, who's going to be professional and skilled and appropriate? Is it your face that they see? Or do they think, wow, she's got a lot of skills and she's smart, but boy, she wouldn't be right for this department because of fill in the blank. Right. To millennials, I would give just those two pieces of advice. You're always interviewing. Be aware of your social media. I guess three pieces of advice, the third one being you still have to put in the work. Don't be afraid of the work. The work is actually what's going to get you the skills. Sorry, I have so many questions, but I know you have to go. So I just want to thank you very much for your time. This has been very informative, and I know that people will find this just as helpful as I found it. And so my last question is, where can people reach out to you regarding mentorship or any sort of business interest they might have in terms of contacting you with ethics, compliance, anything? So I'm on LinkedIn, Elise Hutchinson. And 
people can have my email address. It's esquirehutch at AOL.com. Got it. Well, thank you, Elise. Did you have a good time? I did. Thank you for doing this. Oh, it no actually taught me to think about some things as well. Oh, good, good. That's my goal. I want it to be beneficial <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> All right. well, thank you, Elise. I really appreciate it. And we will talk right. soon. Uh, thank you, Aaron. Oh, no problem. Bye-bye.